My name is Colin Harvey. I'm Professor of Human Rights Law in the School of Law at Queen's University, Belfast. I'm the Principal Investigator on an ESRC, which is the Economic and Social Research Council, funded project on Brexit in Northern Ireland. In that project, we're looking at the human rights, equality, constitutional and conflict transformation consequences of Brexit. And as part of that project, I've been attending a, a number of events and conversations around the EU withdrawal bill, including an event that was held at the British Academy, organised by the UK and a Changing Europe initiative. We're in a profound constitutional moment in the UK. As everyone knows, uh, the UK is leaving the European Union and we're currently within that process. The EU withdrawal bill is a piece of legislation that's going through the Westminster Parliament at the moment. The EU withdrawal bill uh, repeals the European Communities Act 1972. That's a piece of domestic legislation that brought the UK into the European Community, European Union in the first place. In addition to uh, repealing the European Communities Act, the Withdrawal Bill does a number of other interesting constitutional things too. Perhaps the one that has attracted most attention has been in relation to Henry VIII's clauses, giving ministers wide-ranging powers to amend existing laws on a temporary basis. There is a sunset clause attached to that at the moment. Sunset clauses are time-limited powers that are being given to ministers in order to tidy up the statute book to make UK law and policy fit for purpose on exit day, exit day from the European Union. That's what the government is saying, but to a number of critics, there are major constitutional questions raised. And there's a real worry that although Brexit was sold to many people as bringing control back to the Westminster Parliament, more and more this looks like a power grab by the government of the day over Parliament. So there's a bit of a contradiction there that I think will be worked out as the bill progresses through its parliamentary stages. There are a number of very profound concerns about the bill as it's currently drafted. One concern that has been raised is around the rule of law and legal certainty. A number of constitutional lawyers and others have raised questions about key terms within the legislation itself around issues like, for example, something as basic as exit day. What exactly does that mean? A second major concern has been around the relationship between Parliament and the executive. This is a piece of legislation that gives the executive really unprecedented power in changing the face of UK domestic law. And I think that's raised very deep concerns about accountability to Parliament. And I think those issues will be part of the conversation as the bill progresses through Parliament. A third concern is the relationship with the devolved administrations. The devolved administrations in Scotland and Wales, for example, have used the term power grab, a term that's coming up again and again, because in areas that might normally be returned to the devolved administrations, those have been diverted to Westminster and will be part of an ongoing negotiation as to what powers are devolved down the road. So that's led to increasing tension with the devolved administrations. And one issue there I think that's going to be very, very interesting is it's highly unlikely that the devolved administrations will consent to this legislation. One of the interesting aspects about the UK constitution is something called the Sewell Convention. That convention is a constitutional convention that says that the Westminster Parliament 
uh, will normally ask for the consent of the devolved administration where it's legislating on devolved matters. Now, the view is that this is legislation that will require devolved consent, but it's highly likely that that devolved consent will not be forthcoming. So on that third issue of devolution, we're heading into a constitutional standoff between the Westminster government and the devolved administrations in the UK. I've specifically referred to Scotland and Wales there because the situation in Belfast is rather more complicated for a number of reasons. First of all, and this is very much my own view, I don't think the situation in Northern Ireland is fully captured by a devolution lens within the UK. Yes, Northern Ireland has devolved government, but that's devolved government that has come about as a result of a peace agreement which, with many more complex factors in play, including, for example, relationships on the island of Ireland and relationships across these islands. So the Northern Ireland picture is rather special and unique. Secondly, of course, Northern Ireland doesn't have devolved government at the moment and there are negotiations ongoing to try and, if you like, restore the executive and the assembly right now. The Northern Ireland executive and assembly collapsed in January of this year following the resignation of uh, the Deputy First Minister, the late Martin McGuinness. Uh, it's interesting to note and in relation to that, that Brexit was cited as one of the issues in his resignation letter and has further complicated all attempts to try and restore that executive that are ongoing. Of course, many people know the current deal between the Democratic Unionists and the Conservative Party also complicates the Northern Ireland situation even more. And if things weren't complex enough here, of course, the two major parties in our power-sharing arrangement, the Democratic Unionist Party and Sinn Féin, were fundamentally opposed on their approach to Brexit. The Democratic Unionist Party voted for a war for leave and Sinn Féin were advocates of Remain. So our power-sharing executive, if you like, is split down the middle on the issue of Brexit. In addition to some of the more specific concerns I've already referred to, there are two framing issues that are raising bigger concerns about the constitutional context right now. The bill as currently drafted contains a worrying lack of explicit constitutional principle. And the way I would refer to that is the bill is, is rather like drafted like a technical fix. It's a technical fix in the context of something that is really a profound constitutional statute. And in a statute like that, we would want to see much more express reference to explicit constitutional principles like the rule of law, like parliamentary supremacy, like human rights. Second thing I'd like to underline the bigger constitutional context is around safeguards. The bill is also worryingly slim in relation to specific safeguards. And the one that would really concern me going forward, in addition to issues around citizenship rights, are issues around human rights. The government has made clear that it's not bringing the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the EU in with this legislation. So it's walking away from human rights in that context. 
But I think there is a real risk in the current climate created by Brexit and what is likely to emerge following it, that human rights will be neglected and ignored. And so one of the safeguards, I think, that could be usefully inserted into this legislation is safeguards around human rights, including the Charter of Fundamental Rights, but perhaps some of the other international human rights obligations to which the UK is already bound. It's important to be clear that there's the European Union, which is one thing, and then there's the European Convention on Human Rights, which is a separate and distinctive issue coming out of the Council of Europe context. The Human Rights Act, which again is part of a separate conversation, the government has deferred its proposals around repealing and replacing that. So that is safe for now. Although it's worth underlining that the current government is still fundamentally committed to getting rid of the Human Rights Act down the road, and that will be a conversation for another day. A number of contributors to the discussion around the withdrawal bill are raising the question of non-retrogression, and I think that's coming out of the worry and the concern that the UK might take a backward step in relation to protections around human rights and equality. And so in one way to head off for that concern would be to make absolutely clear within the face of the bill itself that nothing that will follow this and nothing that will be done under this will constitute a backward step in relation to the rights guarantees and the equality protections that people have now. I think non-retrogression principle could be applied across a whole host of areas in which European Union law has solid guarantees for individuals in the UK right now. As many people know, one of the real, real worries is of the sort of society that might emerge in the UK post-Brexit, fears of a sort of deregulated space in which the protections that people enjoy now, whether that's in relation to environmental protection, consumer rights or other things, will be degraded in a post-Brexit landscape. I think it's important that people are given security and stability around those safeguards, that those will be maintained, so the UK will not really be embarking on what many people fear, which will be a race to the bottom in relation to protections in order to compete in a global trade environment. The bill and the bill process is a big, big challenge, I think, for the Westminster Parliament. And MPs and members of the House of Lords have a fundamental constitutional role to play in terms of scrutinising this legislation and trying where possible to make it fit for purpose. At the moment, it really is not constitutionally fit for purpose. You could say you could reject the thing in its entirety, but the hope would be that the Westminster Parliament might be able to rise to the challenge of amending this legislation to recognise the fact that it is a major constitutional statute and the face of the bill should reflect that. I think the bill and the debate around Brexit raises wider existential constitutional questions about the future of the UK as a viable and credible entity in itself. If the Westminster government continues to advance in the way that it has done in recent years in terms of how it engages with Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, it raises profound questions as to whether the Union state will really hold together in the time ahead. Now whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is a matter of politics. 
But so far, there's an argument, and I think it's a credible argument, that the processes have been mishandled by the Westminster government. So the UK faces, I think, a constitutional crisis. In terms of our own project, we're looking specifically at Northern Ireland and Brexit. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we'll have a web page up and running where we'll be monitoring and looking at developments, and we'll be inputting into that conversation as well. We'll be working on a number of research reports to feed into the process as it goes forward and hopefully, again, inform the public conversation about the implications of Brexit for Northern Ireland, including the withdrawal bill.